Before we get into this episode of the Proper Mental Podcast, I need to tell you about the Hope Conference, which is taking place in Birmingham on the 11th of November. It's hosted by the Speakers Collective and the Chasing the Stigma Mental Health Charity, and it's a full day of workshops, speakers, roundtables, and collaborations with mental health firmly at the centre. And the aim is to bring together anyone and everyone with an interest in the conversation around mental health to share ideas and learn from each other. And there's some awesome speakers lined up and some really cool things going on throughout the day. You're going to be able to listen to talks from Dr. Samara Linton, who's an award-winning writer and author, from Jake Mills, who is the founder and the CEO of Chasing the Stigma and the man behind the incredible Hub of Hope app. You can also hear from Hannah Beecham, who is the founder of Red Together, and Katie Neves, who is a trans ambassador and the founder of Call to Be Trans. And I think it's going to be an incredible day and a great chance just to spend some time with like-minded people because it's essentially a room full of people who are all committed to talking about mental health and making a difference. I'm going to be there and in the afternoon I'll be talking all things proper mental. I'll be talking about the story behind the podcast and how the sorts of conversations that I'm trying to have and the podcast medium can play an important part in challenging stigma and, and inspiring change. And I'm going to be talking about a few of the things I've learned along the way. It's a non-profit event and all the money from the tickets go to funding this year's event and hopefully putting it on again next year. So if that sounds like your cup of tea and you'd like to come along, there's a link to buy tickets in the episode notes of this episode. And if you use the code PROPERMENTAL, that'll give you 10% off your purchase. There are some credible people involved in this. There's actually a lot of my previous guests who are going to be there on the day. So if you've been listening to the show for a while... It'd be a great opportunity to come down, hang out with me, say hello to some of the people you've listened to me talk to over the last couple of years, and just spend some time in a really positive and compassionate space. It'd be great to see you there. And if you want any more information, go to speakerscollective.org slash hopeconference. There's also a link to that in the episode notes. That's enough from me. And I hope you enjoy this episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. episode 103 of the proper mental podcast and my guest this week is the scary guy who is an educator and a public speaker who has dedicated his life to teaching others his powerful solution-based theories and concepts on human behavior and communication and scary changed his name more than 25 years ago when a chance encounter forced him to look at his life and the way that he was choosing to live it And since then, he's travelled the world. He's worked with schools, police forces, the military, and a whole host of different communities and corporate organisations to spread his message of kindness and working towards the elimination of hate. Scary and I caught up to chat about his journey from being a hard-living, Harley-driving, tattoo studio owner to becoming the scary guy and an advocate for kindness. We chat about being kind, we chat about the flow of negative energy and how it impacts how we interact with the world around us, and we chat about managing emotions impact in the local community and how to achieve world peace in our lifetime. 
I'm such a fan of Scary and his work. I think he's incredible. You can hear from my side of the conversation how much I got from this. And I just think it's so important in this in this world that we live in, we're always talking about be kind. We're all telling people to be kind to themselves, to other people. And it's just like this throwaway line. We say it and then we don't do anything about it. You know, we're using hashtag be kind on one tweet and then in the next tweet piling in on someone who has maybe made a mistake about something. And I love Scary's message. I love how he carries himself. I love what he's on about. I like the concept of it. He's just a great guy. He's a wonderful, wonderful man. And he's doing wonderful things. And I cannot wait for you to to hear all about him, to hear his story, to hear what he's up to. And I hope that you get as much from it as I did. Go and give him a follow on social media. He's on all the uh, the usual places. And all the links are in the episode notes. There's a link there to his website as well. He's got a couple of TED Talks. You can catch those on YouTube. He's also got a podcast. It's called The Scary Guy Podcast. And it's out now on all podcast platforms. While you're on those podcast platforms, you could take two minutes to give me a review. And if you want to connect with me in any way at all, at Proper Mental Podcast, in all the usual places, usually to be found on Instagram. I think that's everything you need to know from me. Strap yourselves in for this one. It's big. There's a lot going on. It's episode 103 of the Proper Mental Podcast with the scary guy. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. just a very quick little intro mate and then um we'll just dive dive straight in and, and see where it goes all right I'm, I'm, I'm up for it so here we are with another episode of the proper mental podcast and my guest this week is the scary guy how are you mate <laughs> pretty good Tom. i think i have the new puppy so you know running up and down the stairs in the building is uh more than i anticipated but here i am and i am doing the best i can every day of my life i put one foot in front of another that's it that's all we can do right that's all yeah. uh all we can do yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um there's so much i need to ask you about today scary i've been really looking forward to this episode but i think probably for a bit of context um the best place to start is kind of back a bit really before the scary guy and um and what was going on for you and how you what was your um your route into all the all the different things that you do now <laughs> well i'm quite old actually i'm i'm I call myself quite old, but everybody says I'm not that old, but I'm probably old enough to be your father. I think, I think I am. I'm maybe, maybe. Yeah, for sure. I mean, how old are you now, Tom? I'm 41. Yeah. Well, you, you are, I could just call you son, I guess. So wouldn't it work? <laughs> <laughs> so to go back in my life, you know, I got, I'll be 69 this year and uh, to go back 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 you know it'd take me some time but i'll do it if i mean you want to go back that far i'll go back well i i think probably just the what i'm really interested in is is the evolution of the scary guy and kind of what led you into um into changing your name and into going down this path that has essentially become your life's work right but it wasn't Uh, it it didn't it didn't start off as your life's work you had to you had to discover it right you had to find it right well my i think i always say the first 43 years of my life is very instrumental in the creation of the scary guy, even though I didn't plan being the scary guy, you know, it wasn't one of those things. I woke up one day and said, 
hey, I'm going <laughs> to tattoo my entire body, including my head and my face, and I'm going to change my name to the scary guy, and then I'm going to travel the world to eliminate hate, violence, and prejudice worldwide. Uh, what happened was when my mom died and when I was 39 years old, I uh, packed up all my goodies and I moved down to Tucson because my brother was in law enforcement, my little brother, and he was um, a year and a half younger than me. So I thought, you know, I want to see my brother and be by my brother. So I went down there and opened up three tattoo shops and I had 10 artists working for me and I rode my Harley Davidson to work every day and I got to work at about... 10, 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning. And I turned up my rock and roll as loud as I could. And if you came into my tattoo shop and you didn't laugh at my jokes, you were an asshole. And you, and I asked you to leave. I mean, basically, uh, <laughs> so I pretty much did what I wanted and I ran my mouth and I said what I wanted and, but I didn't see anything bad about it, who I was. I just, that's how I live my life. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that live their lives like that say and do things that aren't appropriate with other people but that's how i was you know i didn't have any idea what happened to me though back in 1996 two years after i had my tattoo shop started someone in the competitive business of tattooing ran a full page ad in a newspaper and it said are you tired of dealing with scary guys with war paint facial tattoos <laughs> and I thought, okay. well, I'm the only one with a facial tattoo, so he must be talking about me, which I knew he was. And I thought to myself, I, I read the ad in the paper, and I slammed it down on the counter, and I thought, what am I going to do to get this guy back? You know, revenge. That's the first thought that came to my mind. And I thought, well, I'll jump in my hot rod Lincoln. I'll find out where the guy lives. I'll go over to his house and I'll run over his dog. Because I thought if I run over his dog, it would be man's best friend. And he would really feel pain and anguish towards that, you know. And then I thought, nah, that's not enough punishment. I'll take my baseball bat over and I'll whack off his kneecaps because I, that that would fix him, you know. And then I said, no, no, no. And then I went through my mind. I said, no, I'm not a violent guy. That's what I told myself i'm not a violent guy i'm a good guy that's what i told myself so i thought wait a minute i was taught never to say anything negative about my competitors because i thought maybe i should just run a negative ad in the newspaper and get him back see and i thought no i can't do that i can't talk negative about my because i was i was taught that in computer sales see so i was kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place and then i thought you know i'm gonna do because of my computer background, I'm going to turn this around and use it as a marketing and a sales tool. So I took the newspaper and I ran a full page ad on the same newspaper he did. And I took a picture of my face and I blew it up to the full size of the paper. And I wrote the tattoo shop up above home of the scary guy. And I put my face right in the middle. <laughs> 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 so, so for two years, I ran the ad every month, the tattoo shop, home of the scary guy with my face in the middle with my sunglasses on. And I thought, well, this is kind of cool. So everybody started calling me scary guy, scary, you know, everywhere, scary, scary, scary. And I got to be known as the scary guy. And I thought, well, it's all right, you know. Uh, no big deal. And I got to run the ad in the paper, so he got to read it every every day. So that was my payback in a way, see. So with that realization, I, I, I started to look at my own life because he kind of he kind of woke me up a bit, you know, he's, by saying what he said about me. 
And I, I looked at my life and I thought, hmm, wait a minute, I'm a name caller. I stereotype and categorize people at will. You know, I, I know how to hate people. I just mask my hate with sarcasm and humor. I make everything look funny and good, see. But I didn't see my life like that before. I started to see it like that now. So I thought to myself, well, this isn't good. I jumped up on my pedestal and I was bragging and gloating about how great I was as a human. And all this stuff started to flash in front of me about really who I was. And I, I, told, I went back to my warehouse where I lived and I told all my friends I'm packing my bags. And they said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to travel the world to help people see each other differently from the inside out. And they looked at me and they said, how are you going to do that? And I said, I haven't got a clue. I can tell you one thing, though. I think I just wasted 43 years of my life running my mouth, calling myself a good guy, living a lie. But I really believed who I was and how I acted and how I behaved as a human being, even though I might call you a name or find fault with people or whatever the case may be. I always saw my stuff as okay. I never saw it as bad, negative, or horrible. I always saw what I did was good. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's not so good. So I, I said, all right, what am I going to do? Am I going to change my life or am I just going to go down the same path? Because I'm now aware of the fact that this is who I really am. And so I said, well, I think I'll change my life. And But this isn't going to be easy. It's kind of like having a puppy. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of work, dude. So I thought, um, who do I model myself after? So I looked at my dad and I thought, well, maybe I could be like my dad. And I thought, no, he was a product of World War II. He was an angry man. He was always angry and quiet. So my whole childhood was walking around on eggshells around my father, waiting for him to say, hey, son, you're really cool. Never, never happened. So I was always kind of wanting him to say something positive to me, but Kids were to be seen, not heard. That was his philosophy. Then I said, well, that's not a good, that's not, and he was an angry man. So I thought, well, that's probably not a good role model. So then I started thinking about my mom and I thought, hmm, you know, I never heard my mom say one negative word or talk badly about another human. I said, how is that possible? Because this is during this time, it kind of woke me up. You know, and I started looking at people and how they are, you know, and what they're really saying and what they're really doing. And my mom, and I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe she lived 63 years and never said a derogatory rotten word about another human. I said, how in the heck did she do that? You know? <laughs> so I said, all right, I'm going to put myself on a seven-day, seven-night challenge. Because I, I chose seven days, Tom, because... I wanted to make sure that if I couldn't do this, I wanted a way out. So eight days I could say, oh, I can't do it. I'm going back to the way I was, which is yeah. kind of stupid because once you know you're this way, it's kind of hard to go back. But I put myself on the seven day, seven night challenge. So I'm going to put you on it now and I'm going to put all your listeners on it. You ready? Mm -hmm. For seven days of seven nights, don't say one negative word about another human on the planet. And for seven days and seven nights, don't call another person a name other than their own. Wow. Good luck. Uh, yeah, I bet that is surprisingly difficult, right? You know, you're, you're on it now, dude. I'm sorry you heard it. You got to right. go on it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, here's the trick. 
I want seven days and seven nights in a row where you don't say anything negative and no name calling eat in and even banter in a pub because that's negative even though people think it's positive oh the other my mates you know i can call them names and i can no it's negative dude and and they go well i you know i if you break your challenge on day three or four or whatever and you slip up and make a mistake you look the person you made the mistake because you're going to hear it loud and clear and you hold your hand out and you shake their hand and you say i'm sorry i said that and then get on with your life and you start over on day one right yeah <laughs> get back on the horse right get yeah back well on the horse. <clears throat> yeah guess what i have teachers that have been on the seven day seven night challenge for 10 years because they can't get seven days in a row <laughs> <laughs> now on the eighth day on the eighth day something's gonna happen i'm not gonna tell you what it is but you can you can go back to the way you want to be but you're going to discover something about yourself I'm not going to tell you what that is. I already know. I've been on the challenge for 26 years. So I now do I still think? <laughs> do I have? I call it stinking thinking. You know, <laughs> do I have stinking thinking about people that I think are this or that? And you know, in my old days, I would just label them and call them names and you know, judge them and all kind of prejudge people automatically. You know, yeah, I still have that. I still, because I was trained for 43 years to have stinking thinking, you know, reactionary. And, and uh, it's okay to have the thinking. It's just not okay to, to use it verbally or with your physical actions. So you have to ask yourself, you know, how did I get that way? Why is that bothering me? What's really going on inside of me? Not this guy's this or that person's that or you know whatever what an idiot or you know start labeling people and because it's all negative and every time you live that way that just draws you down and draws other people down around you so you got seven days and seven nights and you at the end of the program you got to communicate with me and let me know how you did on your challenge and what okay. you discovered about yourself. now most people believe that the seven day seven night challenge is about being a good person because <laughs> you're not you're not calling people names and you're not saying anything negative well that can be a benefit but that's not the meaning or the reason for the challenge i want to know what are you doing with what you're hearing that's the reason of the challenge are you simply taking on what other people say reformatting it and regurgitating it out of your mouth in a different way that's negative or do you have the ability to hear people speak and not become what you hear? Now, most people don't have that ability, but they have to learn how to be like that. That's a learned behavior, just like they learn to react to things around them. See, yeah. so we want to move from a reactionary process to a responsive process. So when you say something really horrible to me or somebody were to say something horrible to me in the old days, I would just react back to you. I call you a jerk, you know, or an idiot or an a-hole or whatever the words that came out of my mouth at that time. I'd be confrontational with you. Today, anybody can say anything they want about me and I don't react. I respond. Now, responsive means I've thought about it and what am I going to do with it versus just blurting it out towards somebody, see? So, and it goes way deeper than that. So I know that everything that comes from another human being, everything, all your words and all your actions, 
you created in your mind. So it's your energy. So therefore, it's a reflection of you. It's not me. So when you live like that, everything that you've seen and heard your entire life doesn't belong to you. Check that one out. That's bizarre. You know, you start thinking like that. You go, wait a minute. Does that mean when my mom and dad were calling me names and saying things to me about this and that, that were wrong? That's really not mine. That's really about them. I said, yeah. It goes all the way back to when you were born, period. All that energy other people create is about them. Now, if they say, hey, scary guy, you're fat, and the guy saying it to me ain't fat, people look at it literally and they go, well, how does it apply to him? He's not fat. I said, it applies to his behavior, not the physical word fat. It's his behavior. He's labeling, he's categorizing, he's stereotyping, he's rotten. Those are rotten negative words he's using. So that's him and his behavior. That's what it means. And they go, oh, yeah, okay, I got it. So... There's how I got to where I changed my life, and I had to design a program. Basically, I jokingly say, but I think it's true. I designed the program and my theories and concepts so I wouldn't go to prison because I was an angry, reactionary human being. You know, um, I could have easily ganged up with some people and taken people out, you know, and I just thought, I got to do this not only. And then at the same time, Tom, I started seeing at this exact moment because it's like when you buy a car nobody has the car before you buy it but after you buy it everybody's driving the same car <laughs> am i right every time yeah yeah every time yeah. and then the same color you know you go oh i got a unique color and it's a brand new car and then as soon as you get it out on the road you start to see the same damn car no matter what you can't stop seeing it you know and it's like oh my god what does that mean so the same thing happens with this, you know, you start seeing other people and their behavior and, you you know, in the old days, it was the constant flow yeah. of negative. Now it's, it's, now it's, I do whatever I can to help people out of that space, you know? And so I redesigned, I designed myself, I redesigned my thinking, I redesigned a program to help people and to be a different human being. And that was at age 43. So I said, whoa, if I can do it at 43, can you imagine if you taught this to a 14-year-old, what they could do? And I thought, you know, and then they will comprehend it because I, I figured this one out. Nobody really wants to live in the negative. Nobody. I, I believe that. Even, even somebody that you might think is a bully that I don't believe in. I don't believe in the word bully. There's everybody that labels people bully and victim. See, they separate. I don't separate at all. And, they, and people look at me like, well, what do you mean? He's he's uh, attacking these people and he's attacking this person and he's bullying them. I said, no, well, he's negative, definitely. But a bully had to learn to be a bully. They are a professional victim. And they go, what? I said, they're a professional victim because that person has been picked on and teased and uh given negative behavior probably from infancy and that's how they learned to be the same way that they they saw they saw this from their maybe a parent a father or a mother or aunt or uncle or grandma or grandpa it's usually family that shares that negative with them it's rarely do they learn it from the outside now it's reinforced 
from the outside. When you go to school, it's reinforced by what you guys call them your mates. I call them your friends, but it's, it's reinforced because they all learn the same ways and, and then they bring it in and, you know, the stronger one is the, the bully and the weaker one is the victim. No, the stronger one is a professional victim. He just got really good at it. You know, he, he, he upped the ante of really suffering and hurting. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of pain involved with the being a bully, but in the sleepless nights, or they use drugs and alcohol to cover it up. You know, that's another way to mask or they get addicted to games and they stay up till two or three in the morning. So they don't have to feel anything because feeling what they really are is like beyond reality, you know, yeah. and then they'd have to go back in time and say, well, how did I get like that? But that's just not going to happen unless there's a direct intervention. So, yeah, I suppose if you haven't got the, if you haven't got the tools to deal with that feeling, right. When it's, so well, yeah, they don't know it. comfort. So you just check out. Yeah. yeah. And, and they think that they seem to think just like I did for the first 43 years, my life was okay. My, even though, even though down deep in my gut, I knew there was something that wasn't right, but I didn't, I always thought it was the other guy that wasn't right. You get what I'm saying? I a hundred percent get what you're saying. Yeah. And that would go for every one of these people that are addicted to games or drugs or alcohol or whatever that thing is to get away from the reality of what's really going on around them. They think their life is okay. They do. And all of a sudden they have an awakening or something happens to them if they're lucky, you know, and they go, Ooh, they're either going to blow up and explode and completely go ballistic about it, or they're going to become depressed and sad. They won't say they're sad. They'll just get depressed. Then they're either going to up the ante again and do more drugs and alcohol to get rid of the depression or some, in some cases, I hate to say it, but they kill themselves. There's suicide involved at that point. So this is really uh, crit critical and crucial stuff, you know, that, that I bring to light with people and it's powerful. I just got hired by a school in um, down, I think it's the West side of London, I think they're reading i'm not sure exactly wokingham ever heard of that wokingham okay yeah i can't yeah. i've heard of it i don't know where it is i'll be working with 1200 kids in october for a wow. whole week yeah and then 140 teachers and then well over 200 parents and that's five days wow. straight from the morning from the minute i wake up till the morning i go the minute i go to bed at night i'm working with that many people to what I want to do is just, I just want to open them up to the idea and these concepts that they don't have to be like this anymore. And they don't have to take on any of that negative and live with it anymore. So that's, that's what I do. And that's how I got to where I'm at. And I had to redesign my whole life and come up with a way with theories and concepts. Now, the funny part about it, because I'm rambling, I'm sorry, but I not I, at all. You, you got me going, man. Look at that. You got me going. That's, That's what not... I want, Scary. That's why we're here, man. That's why we're here. <laughs> I, uh, the funny thing about it is, four years ago, I was invited into Austria, or Germany, really, but Lake Constantine, and uh, was invited to, to teach 
35 psychiatrists, German psychiatrists, let alone psychiatrists, how to deal with teenagers at self-harm. And I took me, I was an all-day training session. And I jokingly say it took me uh, four hours just to get through the ego. 35 psychiatrists, there's a lot of ego in the room. And of course, when I walk in the room, look at me. You know, I, I look like a tattooed Santa Claus. Give me a break. What does this guy know more than I know? I'm a psychiatrist. He he didn't even barely make it. And he he barely made it to college, you know, university, which I, I spent about one year at my college as a vocal performance major. So I had nothing to do with psychology or anything to do with uh, teaching anybody about behavior. <laughs> and here I am in front of 35 psychiatrists teaching them how to deal with teenagers at self-harm. No, and they hired me. And I asked a I asked a head teacher not too long. It's a good, you know, she books me every year. You know, it's been ten years. She brings me into her school and uh, in the UK. And I said, well, well, you know, what do you think? What? How do you really see me? Her name is Joss, Principal Joss. You know, and she says, without a question, you're the guru. And I go, what? Yeah, you're the guru. You're the one that really gets the job done. You're the one. And I go, really? That's what you think? She says, well, I don't think it. I know it. It's just the way it is. But I don't see myself like that. I see myself as, I see the kids with the power and the strength. And what we got to do is give it to them so they can bring it forward. Because I can't see everybody. I can't, I wish I could. I can't, I can't, you know, somebody once jokingly said, well, I think he was serious, actually. George Megan. I don't know if you ever heard of George Megan. He'd be a no. good guest on your show. George Megan is uh, British and he holds the record for the longest walk in history. Okay. 17,900 miles he walked wow. <laughs> around the Americas. Okay. Yeah. You got to look him up, George yeah, Megan. Yeah, I will. And then, yeah. when, and then when, you, when you get him on, you know, when you contact George Megan, uh, make sure you mentioned a scary mention me and, you know, and yeah, of course. Yeah. Cause George was a professor in Japan after he done, he did the walk. See, so he said, he said world history run it walking to help, uh, impoverished people in different places. But anyway, he, because he was a professor in Japan, he said he did two things that were important in my life. He said, number one, one day you're going to meet the queen. And I go, all right, George, that ain't going to happen, man. Well, now it isn't going to happen because the queen's gone now. But, you know, and he would say now, he would say, you're going to meet the king. But I go, yeah, right, George, that ain't going to happen, man. Look at me. You know, you really believe that the king or queen or the president or anybody really can associate with me? I said, the media would tear them up because they're judgmental. I said, this suck, that's not going to happen. But anyway, the other thing he did is he he submitted an application to nominate me for the Nobel Peace Prize, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. And they uh, they basically threw it out because of me and the way I look. You know, it's just, yeah, right, right. Uh, yeah, we're going to make, we're going to give him the Nobel Peace Prize, you know. Yeah. But <laughs> it's just, that's George Megan. Yeah. George Megan has a lot of faith and he's been to my training programs and he knows how powerful they are but he would be a fantastic mm. guest he's got stories and he's got some really cool mental health issues and, and things he could share with you about walking seventeen thousand miles it took him seven years wow he dedicated yeah. his life for seven years you know and the hardships and the things he and good positive things he ran into so 
Yeah, yeah. Not to get off what the a story. Topic, but, Indeed, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'll check him out for sure. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thank you for the recommendation. It, I suppose, like, when you walk into a room full of psychiatrists and just by walking in the door, they're ready to write you off. <laughs> well, surely that proves your exact point, right? Surely you're they like, that, it's almost like a setup. That's the big reveal, right? It it's is like, a setup. <laughs> yeah. It is. And, and see, I, I got hired by the Dorset police to train 75 police officers. Two 90-minute sessions. So one 90-minute session started at 1030 in the morning, the first one, the same 75 for two sessions, because there's two sessions I do. So from 1030 to 12, and then from 12 to one, we all had lunch. And then from one to three, I did the second session. Well, <laughs> are you kidding? You should have seen, they, they didn't know I was coming. Only the chief, he hired me, knew. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so he sprung it on him, see? And he did it on purpose you know, so that they would get a lesson and they got a huge lesson. Cause here's what happened that they didn't know I was coming in. And then when they announced me as a guest speaker, I came in and there was 75 police officers sitting in the bleachers. And the minute I walked in, you should have seen the look on their faces. Jake, and I, we call it shaking your head. What do you call it when they do this? Yeah. The same, same thing. Yeah. yeah shaking their head. No, like, I can't believe this. Look, where you could see they were writhing with anger. Like, why am I wasting my time now with this? You could just read it. You could feel the energy in the room. That's all. That was pretty much all 75 police officers. They went through the first 90, had their lunch, went through the second 90. And I'm going to tell you what happened at the end of the program. All 75 police officers stood in a queue. You call it a yeah, yeah. cue, I call it a line, to hug me and thank me goodbye. Wow. So they went from one extreme of hatred and prejudice, which they didn't see. They don't see it. You know, they, they just live their lives like everybody else lives it every day, you know, and they justify. Check it out. That guy's an idiot. He's got a tattooed face. They justify their hate. Uh, that's how they do it see i did it that way why would they be any different mm, yeah <laughs> and <clears throat> to completely not even thinking i had a tattoo hugging me and thanking me on the way out yeah so over the course of my training my tattoos disappear just like working with you right now on your show i'm sure when i first came on you noticed my tattoos now well into the conversation they don't even matter anymore they're not yeah. even part of the conversation are they no not at all they just not disappear yeah but then at, yeah but i but but my tattoos are meaningless now in the beginning they had meaning and that's what happens people go wow i i forgot you were tattooed i said i know that's what happens i said see so you're starting to see and feel what's really going on in the inside of me versus what's on the outside of me yeah then they go wow yeah that's really incredible i said now apply that to everybody you meet everybody even the homeless dude on the street with a cup and has got holes in his shoes and he's dirty i said apply it to that guy yeah apply it to them 
I said, yeah. you know, you don't need to give them money, but you can give them grace and you can give them love. You could say hi. You could greet them in the morning. You could say something to them when you pass them by. Why not? What's mm -hmm. stopping you from speaking up? You are stopping you because you see it and you go, I don't want to be involved. I don't want them to touch me. I don't want them to be near me. I don't want that dirt. I don't want to have a conversation with them. The guy's a loser. I mean, all kinds of things go through your mind. Yeah. No, he's, he's, those people are people. So, you know, don't judge them based on what you see. They got a story. Who knows what their story is, but, you know, it'd be kind of cool. I don't need to solve their problem. That's not what I'm talking about. But maybe if I reach out, maybe maybe it'll make a difference in that person. You never know. Mm -hmm. You never know. So yeah. you got to just put all that stuff aside. That's what these lessons are about. Yeah, very much so. When you were talking earlier about the uh, like the angry, reactionary human being, and I think that's just... Like I saw a lot of my own story. I can relate to that. You know, I've been to that person and I think there's a scale, right? So there's some people that take that to the, to the maximum and they maybe do something really, really bad. And we focus on that, but we don't focus on the people that are just going through their day-to-day -day life suffering in that space. Right. Cause I would put oh, myself, um, you know, when I, for a long time, I struggled with my mental health and I, I didn't know that I was struggling with my mental health and maybe a bit of me did, but didn't want to deal with that. Right. So I just kept going until eventually I, I had a breakdown. But when I look at me before that episode and how I was living my life, I, you know, I, that anger was there, that quick to judgment was there, that, um, that criticism of others that was there. And I'm not saying all of that's gone, but it's certainly, um, it's certainly there's not as much of it, right? And you start to so yeah. you know when you do that work on yourself, you do start to to see the world through a different lens. And I suppose kind of what you're doing, scary, is you're going around and like holding a mirror up to people, right? And a lot of that, a lot of the anger, a lot of the meanness, yeah, a lot of the nasty comments. That's um that's us lashing out, right? So if I'm in pain, I want you to hurt too. So that's why I'll say the nasty thing to you because I'm hurting and I'm trying to, whether I'm trying to get someone to save me, whether I'm trying to get someone's attention, whether I'm trying to distract myself, I'm, that's why, that's why I'm lashing out at you, right? It's because inside I've, whether it's low self-worth or something I've been through or trauma or whatever, but that's why we're, that's why we push that, that negative energy, as you describe it back out into the world. Yeah. I, I don't know that uh, if a person's in pain and angry, I don't know that they cognitively think that they push the negative towards another human being or give it to another human being, say the words to themselves. Well, I'm hurting, so I'm going to hurt you. I don't believe that's the case. No. I believe they just live that life because they're hurting, meaning they keep pushing the negative out thinking they're going to rid their body of it. Now they don't say that to themselves either, but, they're so full of the negative and they're constantly receiving it from somewhere else that it just flows right through them. Kind of like conduit for, you know, the metal channel for electricity to flow through. That's what they're being, they're being used by negative constantly. So it goes in one goes in, let's say it goes in their ear because they hear it. It gets rattled around inside their angry brain 
And then it comes out of their angry mouth in the form of words. So they're being used by the flow. That's what I call it. Being used by the flow of the negative and are completely unaware that that's what's happening to them. And they don't go, oh, I'm I'm hurting, so I'm going to hurt them. No, they're just being used and they have no clue they're hurting. So that's what I think really goes on with people. And they they when when you stop and show them these pictures physically, they wake up and almost immediately stop the flow of the negative energy because nobody wants to be used. I uh, when I figured out I was being used by the flow of negative constantly, I went, "That's not hip." That is not cool. I I do not want to be used by other people's negative words, period. And so I stopped. And then, then, and only then did I get in touch with my pain. That's it. Hmm. And once I got in touch with my pain, I said, oh, where is that really, you know, stop letting it come out of me. Why do I have it? Where did it come from? And I started to analyze my own situation, my own pain. There's my mirror. So I started to look in my own mirror of my own life. And I, that's how I made my changes. And then I reformatted how I deal with the negative when it comes at me rather than just accept it and become yeah. it. Yeah. See, that's the hard part. But prior to that, I don't think anybody's going around saying when they're that way, negative constantly and bullying or whatever the words they want to use i don't think they think i think people label them that way i think well the reason that guy's bullying us is because he's hurting down deep inside well that's probably a little bit true but that's why he hurts you because he wants to hurt you because he's in pain i don't think anybody ever that does the negative thinks like that i think they just think what they say and do is okay <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah yeah that's simple they do. yeah well they do they just and then they justify it now that's part of the whole process is justifying the negative and they just justify the negative based on their violent act and they blame what do they blame they blame someone else someone else's negative they blame and they call it stress check that one out so they, they blame the stress that they're under and their anger and frustration is justified to commit an act of violence. No, I'm giving you way too much information because it's too hard to keep up to that stuff. But, but no, that's really what's going yeah. on with them. And they blame, they listen, they get stressed out, they become annoyed, they get angry, they commit an act of violence, they feel better because they got rid of the negative. That's like puking, throwing up. No, really. Yeah, so yeah. Being negative with another human being is like puking when you're sick. You feel better instantly. Yeah, you do. Yeah, completely. Yeah. yeah. But then it's only, it's not love. It's just because uh, you've rid your body of something that's not okay with it. And then you, then you get caught at it. You either the police or the teacher or the parents or your friends. And then you blame, you blame when they come to you. Why did you do that to that guy? Well, because he called me an asshole, you know, he's, he's terrible to me. He's, he's rotten. He, he deserves what I said. And then you justify your act of violence toward the person, which was name calling or labeling or slamming the door or back talking a teacher or you name it. There's all kinds of 
How about this one? Showing up late to a meeting. That's an act of violence. Hanging up a telephone in the middle of a conversation. That's an act of violence. People see acts of violence, they think it's under a knife or, you know, what they see in the movies. No. Acts of violence can be silent. I could be silent and not, not respond to somebody. That's an act of violence. There. <laughs> so there's all kinds of acts of violence that people use. And then they get caught at their own act of violence. Then they blame the other person for giving them their negative. And then they justify their violence. That's how it works. Yeah. And then they go, then they feel guilty if they got a if they're not psychopathic, then they have feelings. Psychopathic people are born with uh, missing stuff in their brains where they don't have the capacity to have a feeling about an empathy for other people. But that's, I wouldn't say it's fairly rare today. I think it's, there's more people like that than we think. But most people have the ability to have feelings about what they've done or do to or with other people. So <laughs> they feel bad. They go, I sh maybe I shouldn't have hit him so hard. You know, even though he hit me, I broke his nose, you know, and he ended up in the hospital. Maybe I shouldn't have hit him. Maybe I should just hit him in the arm like he hit me. See, you start to feel bad. Then you feel guilty. Then if you're, if you're religious, you might feel a little shame. You see, and then you start feeling shame. And then you kind of get a little bit down about it. But then you go back to justifying and say, well, if that, that guy just shut his mouth, he wouldn't, I wouldn't have broke his nose you go through it again and then you get then you finally go to your mates or your wife or your partner and you or your husband and you go you seek comfort and then you start looking around for somebody to to tell you you're okay because you're starting to feel bad see hey tom you're okay for running your mouth you hit that guy you know you, i would have hit him too so you find somebody that agrees with your behavior see that's called love are you kidding me no, that's a cycle of abuse, You and you call it love? But that's what people think. No. You got to break the cycle, dude. It's just, you know, there you go, giving you too much again. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, mate. But yeah, that's what was. That's what I was really thinking when you're talking about it. It is about sort of breaking the cycle, isn't it? Just, yeah. yeah. And you can only do that by working on yourself, scary, right? And what you Absolutely. project and give out into the world and, um, yeah, affect your own... Um, uh, something that I'm kind of obsessed with at the moment is this whole thing about uh, everyone has a sphere of influence and, yeah. you know, it might be a massive sphere. It might be a small sphere, but whatever you've got to work with, that's where you work. Right. And you, yeah. you make the changes in your own sphere and then hopefully it's the ripple in the pond effect. That, that well, I, 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 I talk about, talk about spheres. I love that word sphere, by the way. Um, I tell people this, I says, and I'll, and I'll tell your listeners this too. I, I ask them a question. Do you think you'll see, do you think you'll see world peace in your lifetime? Do I? No. No. Now, if I ask, if I go down the list, 2000 people in the audience and I ask 2000 people, I'm going to get exactly the same answer you just gave me. 2000 no's. Now, occasionally I'll get a, a, a person out there that's going to be goofy and say, yes. But really, truthfully, they don't know why they said yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are just you with a me? Smart ass. Yeah. yeah, they just yeah. being a smart ass. Yeah. And and of course, I look at them and I say, okay, so if you said no to me, then Tom, you're an expert in the creation of world peace because you know you ain't going to see it. That's what you just told me. You're an expert. 
So let me ask the expert, where does world peace begin? I have no idea. Well, let me tell you about it. Because I do know I've walked in my own world peace for 26 years. Most people, when you say world peace, they think the earth. Are you with me? Yeah, that's what I thought, yeah. The earth. Yeah. Well, of course, everybody thinks it's the earth. No. The world is right here. And it's a sphere. It's my head. It's what's inside my head. That's my world. The earth is not mine at all. I do not own the earth. I only own this world. Right. That's what I'm talking about. Do I have power and control over my world? Absolutely. Do I? Yeah. You don't. And I, I won't let you control me. I won't let you. Uh, will I love you? Yeah. But it doesn't mean I'm going to let you run my life. This is my world. That's not my world out there, and I don't have any control over it. I only have control over what's inside my skull, my brain. So I have walked in my own world peace every day of my life since I changed my life, which is 26 years ago. So I create my own world peace. World peace is a process of creation, and you create it every day in your own world you don't attach it to the outside you that's what everybody does everything is on the outside of them no your life and your world is really on the inside of you and this is a shell that houses your world that's it and they go wow i said yeah so when are you going to start creating your own world peace and walking in and no matter what people say to me no matter how they look at me no matter where I'm at, it doesn't matter anymore. They can't have my, they can't take it away from me. This is my power. I have a powerful mind and you could say and do anything you want and it's going to take it from me. That's my power. Yeah. Do you have the same power? Well, yeah. Yeah, okay. of course I do, right? Yeah. Then you can start creating your own world peace every day of your life. That's it. And you're going to walk in your own world peace every day, no matter what comes your way, no matter who says what something to you, no matter what they say, none of it's yours. You got your own world and you're in charge of it, period. Check that one out. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's about showing up for yourself, right? Showing up for yourself authentically and yeah, uh, yeah living yeah. living your truth. Yeah. Yeah. And that's you, a... see it doesn't matter about my sphere of influence it doesn't matter who's around me it, it matters because i love them all you know even I, I love all my haters too it doesn't matter people say well you can't tell me you love president trump yes i can they go why because he's human you go what yeah but look at the way he is i said no that's called hate and i'm not judging him and i don't know him that well and you know what he's a human being he gets my love bottom line yeah yeah and I'm going to give people love. I don't care who they are. I don't care if he's in a homeless duty. I don't care if his clothes stink. I don't care if he just crapped his pants. I don't care if he's in prison. I've worked with prisoners. Yeah. There. there you go. I don't care what he did in his past. I don't care what his past is like. I don't care if he's a pedophile. He's a human being. He's alive. He's in prison. He's going to get my love. Those are choices I make. His behavior doesn't dictate my choice. There you go. There you go. So now, is that power? Yeah. Is it? Is it something that most people can do? No, they choose not to do it. 
Because it's easier not to, right? Oh, it's a lot easier. It's a listen, man. Some some days I look at my life and I go, I wish I could go back the way I was. Been there, mate. I know. I really do. I really say. I say to myself, God, life would be so much easier, so much easier if I could just run my mouth and be negative constantly. Because trust me, if I look out my window or I look at the streets outside, because I live in the city now, and and uh, my house is right in the middle of the city town center, and. Oh my God. I mean, the things I see teenagers doing and teenagers doing to older people and the disrespect. And I mean, on and on the list goes, I go, Oh, I wish I was my old self. So I could just rail on these dudes, you know, and just, but that won't change it. That just adds, look at, you don't eliminate hate with hate. You don't eliminate hate with hate. If I'm hateful, I've just increased the volume of hate. It no, really. Yeah. People yeah. think I think people think, oh, like these people walking down the street and they're rotten and mean. If I walk over to them and get in their face and be rotten and mean with them to teach them a lesson. No, that lesson they've already learned. Yeah. <laughs> they've learned to be rotten and hateful. And by me being rotten and hateful, they're just gonna reinforce their learning. That's yeah. not gonna change. Yeah. Oh, that's not gonna change them. So what changes them is when you walk up to them, and I do this. You know what I do on the streets, don't you, Tom? I pick up the litter. Mm, I've seen. That. I got a litter. I got a litter picker from the council <laughs> in a bucket, and I go down the street every day of my life. And you know why? People think, "Oh, what an idiot! Why would you do that? You don't get paid for it." I got told that a million, million times. They don't call me an idiot. They just, do you do that for nothing or do you get paid? I said, no. Well, then why do you do it? I said, to meet you. And they go, what? <laughs> I said, I did this to meet you. And they go, well, what do you mean by that? I said, because you're an interesting person and I wanted to meet you. Otherwise, I'd never meet you, would I? And they look at me like, whoa, this guy's wacko. And I, <laughs> And that's why I do it. I do it to work on the streets. I work the streets every day. I meet new people. I meet the teenagers that throw their litter on the ground, that act obnoxious and and act out and do disrespectful things. And I have a conversation with them. But my conversation isn't about them and their rottenness. My conversation is about them and the world. And what are they going to do to make it a different place? with love so i'm talking to them with kindness and love in my heart and it stops them think about this it stops them dead in their track they don't even know what to say i not once found anything wrong with them i not once said anything negative i not once called them out i not once said hey man you shouldn't throw your litter on the ground I might walk up if they throw something on the ground and they're sitting on a bench and i'll walk up and pick it up and i'll put it in my bucket and i go you know it's really nice to see you, but holy cow, this place is this is like working in a tip. <laughs> I crack a joke, but it's not. It's not a joke. It's real. Yeah. And I go, I cannot believe this. I, you know, I moved to the UK 11 years ago and nowhere in my imagination did I think I'd be driving on the motorway through a tip. And they go, what do you mean? I said, the motorways are riddled with garbage and trash. 
and rubbish. It's just horrific. I said, I lived in America for most of my life. And I said, it was never like that. Never. People in the communities take pride in their community and they pick things up, throw them away. I said, I can't believe it here in the UK. That's what I say to them. I said, I just can't believe it. There's no pride. And then I walked down the street, pick up more litter. And I leave them with those. I, li- I just left them. Three or four 15, 16, 17-year-old young men on a bench smoking their bait machines, right, with that thought. Yeah, planting seeds, right? You know, I'm not changing them. they got to change themselves. But what I did is I opened the door up so they could start looking at what's going on around them. You know, and it's, it's just the way it is. I, that's what I do. Yeah. And I, I do it full time. And it doesn't matter, like, when I leave the show today, I'm going down to Boots to pick up a prescription for my mother-in-law's 85, got Parkinson's. She was on the show. Barbara Woodhall, you should listen to her show. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And she lives with us now. So we we bought the building to take, we not only take care of us, but she lives on the first floor. It's her new house because she's got Parkinson's. So I, I look after her and a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 the people on the streets, I don't look after them, but I go out and I talk to them all. And yeah, that's what it's about. You know, you gotta, you gotta reach out. You gotta touch people. You gotta every day. I, I got an, I don't know how much time I got, but I got a short story about Sue. I have my front door open to my building down here because it's under construction. So I open my door and every now and then I'm sitting in my leather chair in the front of the building with the door open, especially in the summertime. See, and on under construction, I, I t- torn all the office walls out and the office ceilings and came, brought it back to brick. And it's really cool. It's Victorian. And I got the old cove showing and it's 14 foot high ceilings. And it's just incredible. You'll see it someday because you're coming to see me anyway. And I'm coming to see you. But anyway, and it's incredible. So anyway, this woman walks up to the door and, her, and I didn't know her name at the time, but she's it's, she had a scruffy jacket on and her hair was all frazzled out you know and she looks inside my building and she goes wow and i go hi how are you come on in can i i said yeah come on in what's your name she said my name is sue i said well have a seat on the sofa there sue can i I said, absolutely. She said, well, so how are you doing? She says, I'm in awe. This place blows my mind because iron beams are showing and the brick is showing and, you know, and it's, it looks like a, a modern day bomb site. It looks like World War II hit it, but it, somebody's living in it. You know, it's just really cool. And all the copper shows and the pipe show and the electrical shows and the ceilings hanging down. It's just gorgeous, right? And that's all we're going to design and see. But she's in there going, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. Oh, do you mind if I just sit and look? I said, no. And then she's looking and looking. Oh, it blows my mind. Oh, and she pulls a pack of cigarettes out. She says, do you mind if I have this, if I smoke? Can I smoke? And I said, here, I'll, I got a lighter. I said, I'll light your lighter. I'll light your cigarette. So I lit, really? I said, I lit her cigarette. She's starting to smoke her cigarette and she's sitting there across kitty corner from me and I'm sitting in my chair. She's on the sofa and I know she's smoking her cigarette and there's a tear coming out of her eye. A teardrop's flowing down her cheek. And I says, are you okay, Sue? She says, yeah. 
but this is the first time in a long time anybody's been kind to me. Wow. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't. Well, I can't believe it. I can't because people just, they would see Stu walking down the street and they would think, well, Sue's homeless, you know, so I don't want to talk to her, but Sue's not homeless, but she's, she's got, uh, she had a brain hemorrhage and she had some other things. So she's not able to work anymore. She's really intelligent, but she doesn't look that way. See? Yeah. So people are going to judge her and they're going to make a decision to get away from Sue because look at, she's scruffy looking. Her hair looks like a mess and she's angry. A lot of times she's angry at the way people are. Hmm. And so she just had a tear in her eye and she just says, you know, it's been so long. Somebody, I said, Sue, I said, anytime my door is open, you come in and have a seat down here. Anytime. You can smoke, you can talk, we can have a chat. I said, anytime you want to do that, you just feel free to do it. In fact, here's my phone number. And I gave her my phone number. And you give me yours because she had a phone. And I said, if you ever want to just text me, whatever, just feel free. I'll text you back. Don't worry about it. Well, of course, she she was, you know, I'm a newfound friend, so I got a million texts the next day, you know. Hey, scary, <laughs> hey, you know, and that's fine, you know. Yeah. You don't have to answer every single one of them. You just, <laughs> you know, you just yeah. respond with just love. checking in. Yeah. 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 Oh, mate, it's a beautiful, uh, isn't that cool? Beautiful thing. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. It's a really nice segue, actually, because I'm very conscious of your time, Scary. But I did want to, I did want to ask you about the, the, the building. Um, because you've got plans, right? For like, um, emotional educational plans and some art stuff going on. And, um, it sounds like yeah. a really, um, really incredible thing that you're doing what's um what's the plan with this uh this four-story building right? well the, the the building is in the middle of the town center in wigan and it's a 68 market street and anybody that does come by you well it's not an open door it's got a security door and nobody just walks in the building because it's my house but in the front down on the ground floor will be an art gallery but it'll also double as our educate emotional education training center. So when, when we invite people in, it can be new teacher training, it can be police, it could be military, whatever. We can run classes in the front area as well. Um, so I'm an artist, my wife's an artist, and we've been artists our whole lives. But we're going to feature some of my art, but really we're going to feature uh, other artists from around the world because I'm not because because I want to sell their art. I don't really care if if their art sells great, but it's really because I think um, art is a way for people to connect and and, and it it evokes a feeling. And I think it's good format for people to talk and communicate about what's really going on. So that's what the art gallery is about. And then the training center in the front and it's open you can have my post my phone number. You can post my email. Everybody goes, oh, it's private. No, no, I don't have a private life. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know, I got uh, over a hundred thousand people follow me from all over the world. It sounds like a lot, but it isn't that many. When there are people with millions and millions of followers, but those are the right one hundred thousand. You know, and, yeah, and you know, and. Um, they all have my phone number and they all have my email and you're welcome to share it with anybody and anybody's welcome to contact me at any time about anything and I'll respond to you. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Well, scary. That's wonderful. I've enjoyed this, uh, 
I've enjoyed this morning immensely. You've given me a lot well, to think about. I knew you would. I knew I was going to get taken somewhere today and uh, and you led the way. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's been an absolute pleasure to meet you, mate. Thank you so much. Yeah, I want you to come by sometime, Tom. Mate, well, do you know what? I'm not far from Wigan, mum. I'm only 20, 30 miles away. So uh, not far at all. So we can make that happen. Yeah. What town are you in? So I'm on the Wirral. So I'm near Liverpool. I'm just across the water from Liverpool. Oh, I love Liverpool. It's a great city, I love huh? It. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I just love it. Yeah. If, so I, it's if not... I go to Liverpool on the train, maybe we could hook up sometime. May that would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, after this, we'll um, we'll swap numbers and stuff, and we'll make that happen. Yeah, that'd be wicked. Yeah, I'd really like that, mate. Yeah. All right. Thanks for having me on, bro. Oh, mate, no problem. Thank you very much for your time. Big up to the proper mental podcast. A podcast. A proper mental podcast. <laughs>